We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. The tragic shooting at a Pittsburgh synagogue last Saturday reaffirmed what many already know, that anti-Semitism and hate crimes are very much a part of the American social undercurrent. St. Louis has seen its share over the years. Joining me in studio to talk about where we are today are Karen Oresti, the regional director of the Anti-Defamation League here in St. Louis, and Rabbi Amy Fader of Temple Israel. Thank you both so much for being with us. Nice to have you. Thank you. Amy, let me begin with you. This is really a difficult time for the Jewish community in America, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. What are you thinking? Well, it's a terrifying time, obviously, but it also feels like we have seen this uptick in anti-Semitism for a while now. And I think our congregation and our community has been trying to figure out how to prepare ourselves, but also how we can still be proud of who we are and be confident as Jews and as Americans. And we are doing everything we can to just go about our life as we always do. Karen Aresti, how do we prepare ourselves? We use all the layers at our disposal. So we work with law enforcement communities who are there to protect us. We educate our members about what they can do to be security aware. Then we also go out into community because if we hide, then the haters are winning. So we go out into community and we do good work and we learn with others and we learn about others and we let them learn about us. And hopefully that all ends up reducing the lack of awareness and bias, and we all do better working together in community. How do we become more security aware? What, what precisely do you mean by that? Um, it's not something that the Jewish community really wants to do. You want to be able to go into your synagogue uh, and feel safe and secure, especially uh, in, in a place that you want to be spiritual in. This is, by the way, not limited to the Jewish community. So we've been having this conversation over the past few years with all houses of worship in the region. Um, and it's about creating harder targets, making it harder for people who want to create harm to do that. I would say uh, last week also, uh, not to forget the gentleman who shot two uh, African-American grandparents at the Kroger in in, uh, Jefferson Town, Kentucky, after first trying to get into two churches, both of which were locked, Mm -hmm. made it harder. So um, it's about um, doing the strategic work and the structural work, but also having that sense of we're in it together. Um, You can form a security committee at your synagogue. You can train your ushers and your volunteers to understand uh, how people behave who might want to come into your institution uh, and cause trouble. There are a lot of different ways to do it. Amy, as a rabbi, is this something that you're considering or will consider for uh, for your uh, congregation? Well, it's something we've been doing for quite some time. So we already have police officers who are present every time we have a worship service or a large event or a religious school. And then we do have a security committee, and we're very lucky to have a number of congregants who in their professional lives are police officers or have served in the military who are really fantastic as being our ushers and being our extra set of eyes. So it's clearly not something anyone would want to do. But I think for the most part, we feel really confident that both with 
the people who we hire to help us and also within our own community, that we always have people who are on the lookout should someone, God forbid, come in with the intention of doing harm. President Trump has proposed armed guards at uh, synagogues throughout the country. Is it, it, would you go that far? Well, I mean, we so we do have police officers mm-hmm. who, who, of course, are armed. Um, but, you know, I think in, in the example of the synagogue in Pittsburgh and so many congregations, you know, we're very lucky in my congregation. We've got more than 900 families, so we do have the financial means to hire security every, you know, every Shabbat when we need to. But many of my colleagues don't have that. And so if you have a small congregation or a community that doesn't have the financial means to assume that everyone is going to be able to have an armed guard at the door. It's it's just not a possibility. How long have you been operating under this heightened security? So we have had um, we've had police officers for several years now, and you know we we have a number of other different security measures in place. Um, but the idea of having someone at the door. I mean, we've had someone at our religious school doors for at least, you know, the 13 years that I have, have mm. been working here as a rabbi, um, having them at services is really just the past few years. Karen, I don't know why, but I'm really surprised to hear this, that this has been going on this long. I know St. Louis has had its problems uh, if, uh, on occasion over the years, but... There have been a number of incidents where individual synagogue buildings have been targeted by somebody who is interested in doing harm or through um, flyers or graffiti or things that are less permanent create a level of intimidation and anxiety that requires that heightened awareness. Look, it was uh, April of 2014 when a certain white supremacist that I don't like to name uh, killed three wonderful Christian people uh, outside the Overland Park JCC. He didn't go inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, two at the nursing home village Shalom and one at the J- and two at, one at the nursing home and two at the JCC. He did not have to get in the door. So he he just assumed everybody in the parking lot was going to be Jewish, and that's where he started to do severe harm. Um, it's, it is an awareness that we all have to pay attention to, um, and we're going to continue to do that because as a community we can protect ourselves well, but we can also share with our interfaith friends and all our allies that they have to be paying attention as well. I don't think anybody, um, I certainly don't think any member of the clergy, whatever religion, uh, feel safe this weekend. It could have been anybody's congregation. All right. Does that uh, apply to you, Amy? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was just thinking, as you were mentioning some of the incidents going back, I guess it's been 20 years now, the shooting at Richmond Heights. Sure. Which was... 1979. Uh, was, it, was it that 70, long? 77 or 79. Yeah. yeah. Bris Shalom Knesset, Israel. Yeah. Richmond Heights. And there was the incident with the uh, tombstones in University City, but that, that was not classified as a hate crime. It was not a hate crime in the end, Mm -hmm, but if you want to talk to folks around the world who say at that moment in time it felt like extraordinarily targeted behavior, they felt that way. So you you can sort of go into your balancing act of what it is legally as opposed to what kind of impact it has in community. What difference does it make if the perception is one thing? That's right. Perception is a lot right now. Right. Where does St. Louis stand with regard to uh, this kind of activity? I mean, we've talked in the past over a good many years about hate crimes and anti-Semitism. Is is there an uptick now? Is it... Oh, you're nodding affirmatively. Go ahead, elaborate on that if you want. We've had four reports this week of people who uh, have experienced something, and we're um, seeing a variety of of investigations. Um, How they'll pan out, I don't know. I think people have a greater sense of capacity to come forward and share uh, because of the events of the last week in a way they might not have. 
Um, I've seen a number of our folks uh, posting on Facebook stories about anti-Semitic incidents that they've experienced, conversations with people that were terribly hurtful, that they were not inclined to share personally. Um, and that's one of the interesting in impacts around all of this. But this is not new. I mm -hmm. mean, if you want to add in the bomb threats that were hitting institutions uh, last year significantly and the year before, and even though those turned out not to be anti-Semitism per se, uh, they had everybody nervous and anxious. Um, but I think when you talk to the immigrant and refugee community and when you talk to the black community and certainly the Jewish community and just about everybody, the transgender community has been extraordinarily hard hit in the last couple of years by um, murders, particularly of transgender women of color. Um, there isn't a group out there who isn't feeling vulnerable right now. And of course, there are incidents like Charlottesville and others that are very, very dramatic indeed and just uh, just uh, reinforcing what you say. And I will say we are, um, ADL is in a broad program with the United States Conference of Mayors and the Fetzer Fund and the National Immigration Law Center and a number of other uh, important partners uh, to do something called Communities Overcoming Extremism, the After Charlottesville Project. And that will be a one-year project that kicks off here in Washington at the Knight Center at Washington University mm -hmm. at the end of November. So there are a lot of folks in public policy and people who take care of communities who want to get together and learn and, if possible, create a playbook of sorts. Mm -hmm. You can't be perfect every time, but a lot of that kind of conversation with people who can be very effective in helping communities work these issues through well that's going to be a big topic of conversation for us over the next year. Uh, Amy, would you want to speculate on, on why we're undergoing this uptick at this time? Well, I, I think we're all aware that there seems to be more of a, um, a comfort with saying hateful things out mm -hmm. loud and from our political leaders than there has been. And, and I think that, you know, this idea that you can openly say hateful things about other, of course, it only leads to xenophobia and it promotes ignorance and, and hatred of the other. And, you know, what we keep reminding our, our congregants and our community is that words matter. And that the mm -hmm. way we talk about other people who may be different from you, it, it's not just talk. It truly does impact people, and it encourages people who are uh, who have hate in their heart and who are inclined towards violence to believe that saying those kind of things is acceptable and that acting on those kind of things is acceptable. Anything to add to that, uh, Karen? No, it's 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 <clears throat> well said. I wish we did better with our littlest ones at educating. Uh, how to get along with others and to figure out early what are the tools to minimize bias as we go out into the world with the bias mm -hmm. we all have. Um, unfortunately, reading, writing, and arithmetic take precedence. Maybe these kinds of incidents will allow our education policymakers to consider how they might shift that intentionality around learning how to be in a global world uh, better earlier rather than later. What, what I hear uh, commented on a lot, uh, both on this program and, and, and outside the, uh, the studio, is uh, people saying that one of the most disturbing parts of this is that obviously there's been this undercurrent just below the surface that is now kind of breaking through, enabled by the rhetoric, let's just say. you agree with that? I do. I think the, the rhetoric out there has been incredibly divisive, and people who want to act on it can use it as an excuse uh, in order to go forward and do what they want to accomplish. But we've been, we've been watching uh, haters for decades, mm -hmm. and every once in a while, somebody will pop up triggered by whatever is going to 
get them to that point to go in and commit harm. It does happen consistently. Yeah. We're not going to ever see it go away. Um, the question is, can we do better at building community after it's already happened? What is going to happen, uh, Rabbi Fader, tomorrow uh, at uh, Shabbat? I understand there's going to be some sort of a solidarity effort here and, and elsewhere. So so in our congregation, it'll actually be happening tonight at our Friday night Arab Shabbat mm-hmm. service. Yeah. So, um, so we're having... Our service tonight, we've invited some other faith leaders who are going to come, and they're going to speak with us. So Andrew Rayfeld from Jewish Federation and Ghazala Hyatt from the Islamic Foundation mm-hmm. and Reverend John Hampton, who is in the Methodist Church um, out in St. Clair. They're all going to share a few words, and I think the idea is just to come together. We've already had a number of people from different faith communities mm-hmm. say they are going to help us, and they're going to show up for Shabbat, which is an initiative through the American Jewish Committee and through federations across the country. And it's a wonderful idea of just being able to say, we will not be intimidated. We are not going to be any less Jewish or less proud of who we are, and we're all going to celebrate together. It sounds like a great idea, but Karen, um, we've all been around long enough to know that we'll do this, and we'll maybe do it next week and the week after that, and then slowly we'll do it fewer and fewer times, and then not again until this happens again. True. Um, This community, however, has shown itself in an interfaith capacity to have remarkable relationships that um, are continuous and do show up more than just in response to trauma. And I think many of my colleagues in the community have been heartened by the people who are just reaching out to say, I'm sorry. Um, That's enormous. And I think that will continue because this unique event seems to have created a different rhythm in the conversation than others that came before it. Um, and maybe with um, the election, there will be uh, people who would like to see policies change that could also minimize the risk that this happens again. Um, but I'd like to thank all those folks in the community who have come uh, to us and our colleagues to say, just want to reach out and be a friend. Amy, this community really, in, in, from the interfaith perspective, is really quite remarkable. I don't think there are too many like it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we've, I mean, we feel incredibly lucky to have had so many Muslim and Christian colleagues reaching out to to us individually and saying, how can we support you? I, I had a friend who is a, um, who is a minister in Dallas. And he reached out just after it happened and said, you know, what can we do for you? And I said, gosh, you know, I I have no idea what I'm going to say to my congregation. I just don't have the words and I just don't have the prayers right now. And so he said, well, what if we prayed for you? And so he got his whole church together and they all recorded them, you know, singing a Hebrew prayer and put it on Facebook for us. And I just thought, and how amazing is that just to reach across state lines and religious lines and say, we are all in this together. How are you dealing with this uh, with the children? Well, we do have resources prepared um, that we send out to all of our families because obviously every family is um, is saying something different to their children. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, and so they have both heard very different things from me just based on their age. So we have given um, the tools to our parents and grandparents to say this is how to talk about it. But on you know the day after it happened, we still had religious school, and parents and children came to school as always. A lot more of them got of their car to hug me and to hug the police mm-hmm. officer when they were dropping off their children, but but they still showed up. Yeah. 
Karen, your your thoughts about that, about dealing with this with young people? You have to be intentional about it, but you can do it in a sensitive way so that it helps them learn and not be scared. Um, ADL has an enormous number of downloadable free education resources right now that we've updated and put on our website, empowering children in the aftermath of hate, talking to your children about hate and bias. And it really helps to give parents and those who are uncomfortable having those conversations some really specific tools to do it well and to keep it uh, ongoing as a learning moment. Mm -hmm. So where do we go from here? At at this point, where do we go? You know, we uh, support each other and we continue to live as we've been living. That's the way. Like uh, the rabbi said, no less Jewish, no less out there identifying, no less participating in community. The worst thing we could do is to pull back into our little bubbles. Um, that, that, That way the haters win. So I think with the enormous support that's been shown uh, over the last week and and probably in the next few weeks, we should use it and and, uh, move forward with it. Uh, Rabbi Amy, would you uh, like to give us a final thought? Absolutely. We're just going to continue doing what we're doing. And then most importantly, we're going to show up on Tuesday and we're going to vote and try to make some change happen in our community and our country so that we can really say these kind of things are not acceptable in America. It is possible through that vote to send a message. There's no question about it. Going to have to leave it at that unless you have a final thought, Karen. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. I I do wish people will go search out others, others religiously, others in education. Do stuff. Create opportunities to really uh, build alliances and new friends because that's going to be a really positive way to respond. Thank you, Karen Oresti of ADL Heartland. Thank you so much for being with us. And Rabbi Amy Fader of Temple Israel, thank you for being with us. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.